never lets us down. Good, listen, uh, if you're new, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here I'm gonna be sharing with you today. Uh, to everybody who can't even believe they're in church this morning, welcome. Thanks for coming to check it out. I promise it's probably not as scary as you think it's gonna be. Uh, Kesset is a place for spiritually curious people, people who uh, have questions or frustrations or just overall angst with God and also people who love him and uh, worship him and, and feel like their whole life would be uh, completely different without him. So we, uh, we, we allow that tension to sit in the room and today we're just, gonna, we're just gonna invite it in and then make it worse. That's sort of what we're gonna do today. Um, this series, That's Not Helpful, is kind of facing off with this really um, becoming very uh, constant Christian tradition of having a lot of answers, of saying, yes, you can do that, or no, you can't do that. This is what it is, or this is what it isn't. Uh, comments like the one you saw on the screen, like, for instance, that God will never give you anything you can't handle. Uh, that's, that Bible says nothing like that. As a matter of fact, it says the world's going to give all of us lots of stuff we can't handle, but God will show up in the midst of our mishandling. But we make people feel like, like uh, they should be able to, to deal with all the stuff in their life because clearly that's what, uh, that's, what, that's what the church teaches. That's what the church exemplifies. And this series is here to dismantle all that. Uh, I'm surprised actually that we have a bit of a full house today and quite a few people online because I thought this would frustrate more of you than it did. Um, or, or, or I've also met a lot of new folks and maybe people were like, I'm not dealing with this. And a bunch of other people were like, finally, and you decided to come to church. So either way, I'll take it because our job in this community is to, is to walk out the things God gives us. And oftentimes I do believe that we as Christians don't walk those things out and so are just not that helpful. We're just not what we're supposed to be in this world. So last week, quick recap. Uh, we talked about this idea last week that we are all called to follow Jesus, that we are all invited into this relationship with the creator of the world and that we are called to be in that community with him. Now there's a general call for everyone to be a part of the movement, to be a part of the life bringing message spreading news of Jesus. And then there's also the very specific one, the one that's more built around what you do and how you do it. I think a lot of people miss their, uh, their, their, their purpose in life, not because they uh, aren't trying, but because they don't realize that God is the one who designs that purpose that you don't go out and just create it, that you are built to do what you do. You just have to figure out how God wants to use it. Uh, I have been preaching like this. I gave my first sermon uh, at 15 years old on a Good Friday service. And the reason I gave the sermon is because my mom was tired of listening to me uh, debate her on behalf of the children around chores and vacations and schoolwork and all these things. And, and somehow the pastor was like, maybe you should try this in like a productive way. And I debated him on why I didn't feel that was important. And here's the three points why I shouldn't do it. And then I did it and I was like, oh, I, I think maybe this is something I'm supposed to do. And so I went into full-time ministry at 21 and I have been doing this now for 20 plus years but I gotta tell you, it's not because I just decided one day to work at it. It's because other people in my life said, what if God built you for this? You are all built for something. Maybe it's something just like this, probably something radically different. You are all built for something, but you have to figure out inside a community like this what it is you are supposed to be a part of and who it is you are supposed to be helping to build as well. And so that's what we're doing 
here every single week. That's why we're gathering. That's why we're dismantling. That's why we're untethering. And that's why we're going to continue, I think, to be a church that's filled with all the people all the other churches don't want. And that's fine. That's fine. It's probably not you. I'm sure all the churches want you, so it's probably not you. It's you, though, the other you. You guys know who you are. You're like, I don't belong. Perfect. Welcome. Now, I made this statement last week that most Christians, I believe this, are not helpful because most Christians are either poorly trained or untrained altogether. I want to add to that statement this week and then launch from there, that most Christians are either poorly trained or untrained altogether due to the difficult posture a person has to live within in order for training to happen. This is why I believe most Christians are not uh, functioning as they should in the world. It's because they want to be this person God has called them to be, but they're not willing to actually sit in this trainable posture and allow the work to happen in order to train them. For example, all of us have started new jobs. When you start a new job, even the most basic job, someone must train you. Whether it's to have a key card to get into the building or how to get a reimbursement or, or, or how to uh, make the burgers and, and fry the fries. Someone has to train you. And I think what happens is sometimes we start to think that just because we got the job, we're trained. But anybody who's had a new job knows, I'll put it on the screen, that just getting the job doesn't automatically qualify you to do the job. You don't just get the uniform and then you're like, now I know how to make burgers and fries. Look, I got the uniform, has my name on it, the cute little visor. You have to be trained in order to do that. Now with Christians, we have to realize that when Jesus calls us, we get the job. We get the job when we accept his calling. Being like Jesus is the job of every Christ follower. That's the job. And you figuring out your place and what's helpful in the world is being like Jesus. We are called to be these pictures of Christ to the world. Ephesians 5 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. People love this verse. It's a very romantic verse. But have you ever considered the fact, and let's be clear, that being saved by Christ is not the same thing as being imitators of Christ? Getting the job is getting the job, but you've got to be trained. In other words, just being saved by Jesus doesn't qualify you to automatically be like Jesus. Like, well, I'm a Christian, so now I'm like Jesus. I got a job making burgers and fries. I got the uniform, so now I know how to make burgers and fries. No, not true. You have to be trained to make burgers and fries, and you have to be trained to be like Jesus, to be walking, breathing, touchable spirits of him in the world, and that requires training. But people don't like the training because it's a posture that's difficult. It's a posture that, that, that it's in and of itself causes us to realize we aren't really displaying the kind of life we want to display. See, when people find Jesus, they come from this place of deep, dark curiosity. It's a lot like if I turned off my teaching TV right here. They come from this blackness. There's a verse that describes this really, really well. It's in Isaiah. It's 59.10. It says, we grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. People in this world are seeking and searching to have the power turned on in their life to display the picture of the person they're supposed to be to the rest of the world. And they will do anything they can to try to plug in. That's why their people are oversexed and overalcoholed and overworked and overdistracted. 
and they're consistently and constantly trying to fill their souls with something more than just this void of existence. And nothing works but God. This is why famous people uh, damage their lives all the time. This is why wealthy people commit suicide. This is why it doesn't matter what you attain in this world. It doesn't matter what I attain in this world. This book that's training us says without the training and the filling of who God is, you are simply going to be a person with an insatiable appetite for more and more and more of the next. Now this starts off in a really beautiful way. And I spend a lot of time with people who are on this journey. As a matter of fact, a lot of people have exited church to be a part of this journey that I think is really important for them. They've almost turned off the power in their lives because they need time to uh, disconnect from all the things and all the damage that's been done by the churches they grew up in. And I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute. But I believe wholly in my heart that there is no amount of time in the void that is gonna replace the identity Christ wants to build in you that's already there. It just isn't filled with his power. What happens though is people come to Christ and suddenly their life is turned on and they have full color. They have power, they have purpose, they have connection and they walk out into the world and they live in this place that is just nothing but static. They live in a place that, that is color, it is, it, is, it is spirit, it is church attendance, I guess, it is worship music, and it is definitely telling people, do you see how different I am than I used to be? I'm no longer living in the void. And people see them and they're like, I see something different, but I can't really tell what it is. And this is where a lot of us live. We have the uniform of a Christian, we just aren't trained to actually cook the food and serve it. This is why a lot of people who live years and years and years like this, as you look back over the relationships in their lives, realize they have a whole bunch of very deep fried, overcooked and cold friendships. Because they were never trained how to do more than just be filled with the power of God, how to claim the salvation of Jesus. I'm all about the salvation of Jesus. I mean, like that's what they teach us, that's what church is about. But I started to realize if all we do is fill people full of applicants and uniforms, we're gonna have some really nasty food. And the church is full of some very well-defined, uniformed, named, welcome to church people who can't cook nothing. And then they're confused why nobody wants to live in the hospitality of their life. Why nobody wants to receive the, the meal of relationship or love from their story. And then they're like, boy, this world sure is lost. Why don't people see Jesus in my story? And then they hand someone a very gross fry that's the consistency of a chip. And they see, come be my friend. And people are like, I don't think so. <laughs> and then we wonder why churches are sinking and people are lonely. We are supposed to live different. We are supposed to be people who are willing to be trained, but the first thing we have to do is recognize that if you've accepted Christ, you may have the uniform, but it do doesn't mean that you're ready to lead anybody anywhere. There's a verse in Hebrews that describes people that are untrained, but have the uniform, if you will. They're described as children who drink milk. It says anyone who has to drink milk is still a baby without experience in applying the word about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties, look at the phrasing, have been trained by continuous exercise to distinguish good from evil. We are called to be trained. 
We are called to be people who recognize in ourselves that many times we are nothing but static to this world. So stop acting like people who can't see Jesus in you are somehow uh, trying to pull you down or pull you back into your own life. Instead, recognize the fact that there is power in your world and there is color and you are exuding a lot of that transformation and I hope I am too, but you aren't an image of Jesus yet. Just recognize and see that, that without training, you and I will never develop, and so we eventually become blurry visions of Jesus to everyone around us. I wanna say something to people who have uh, grown up in the church specifically, uh, especially churches led by people who cast this blurry vision of Jesus. I wanna recognize right now the hypocrisy, the duplicity of people who told you this is what Jesus would do or this is what Jesus would do that sure didn't appear to line up with what Jesus actually did. I also wanna recognize, uh, as humbly as I can, churches that have just changed rules on people. Churches that have said, no, this is how you should behave, but then when you call out the leaders or you call out the staff or you, you call out even the, the people in the church that claim to be examples of Christ, then they change the rules. They're like, no, 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 that's for you. That's, that's not for me. I wanna honor the fact that there are deep, deep woundings within this movement of God. And I think that this static is a significant responsibility for it. I believe that most people who have been hurt by other Christians and the church were hurt by peoples and communities who accepted living with these static pictures of Christ as their example. And I just need to tell you how sorry I am for that. I've been approached as I did this the last couple services by a lot of parents who said how uh, valuable that was to them and they wish so badly their children who no longer attend church because of the static church they grew up in could have heard it. If you are in here right now, I just want you to know that your ability to receive that apology, your ability to see the static for what it is, it's a very important step in understanding that this is supposed to be a place for people who are willing to be trained. It's supposed to be a place for people who are willing to sit in the authentic, honest evaluation of themselves and say, I am not enough. I am not enough. God has to be the one who orchestrates this beautiful space. But we have to recognize and own the fact that many, many times our symphony of love that we are supposed to be playing is wicked out of tune. I think there's an important thing that we can do I think the most important thing we can do to recognize that is train, is own what it is, to sit with what it is, and to not make excuses. Easier said than done, but that's a big part of what's happening here right now. We need to be people who are willing to first and foremost take on a posture of self-denial. See, anytime you apologize to somebody even if you aren't all the way wrong, this is my biggest problem with apologies, I'm just gonna say this real quick, I'm rarely 100% wrong, <laughs> but I have not figured out how to give a like 74% apology. And I think that as a church and as a movement and as followers of God, we are rarely 100% wrong, but we wanna make sure and only apologize for the things that are for sure that we've done wrong and not the things that are debatable. And I'm just here to tell you, that's not how this is supposed to work. We just have to own the stuff. And that's gonna mean receiving some black eyes and bloody lips along the way, and that's okay. 
The only way I know to do that then is to take on a posture of self-denial, which is the initial onboarding of every single Christ follower in the book and ever since. Jesus is talking to his disciples about following him and he says, if anyone would come after me, look at the first thing he says, let him deny himself and then take up his cross and follow me. This is a really important verse from this perspective of onboarding yourself into training because Jesus is saying, now you're saved, you're with me, so now follow me. Come where I'm coming. But the first thing you're gonna do is not take up your cross and so deny yourself. The first thing you're gonna do is deny yourself. So the first thing you're gonna do is recognize, I don't want to. Jesus, you saved me, thank you. I don't wanna follow you anywhere. I don't wanna carry that cross, that's for sure. And I definitely don't wanna to apologize to those people because it's, I'm only about 34% wrong. And Jesus is like, great, you're saved, you're saved. We're a part of this movement. We're a part of this community. You no longer are seeking and groping in the void. There is color and static in your life. Now it's time to start building a picture of me in the world that you live in. First thing you're gonna do, uh, deny yourself. It's like he calls all the bluffs at the same time of all the humans that will ever live. Nobody's gonna wanna do this. So that's the first thing you own is that you don't wanna do it. You don't wanna stop drinking. You don't wanna stop sleeping around. You definitely don't wanna lose the uh, piety of the church and how polished and shiny it's supposed to be. You don't wanna admit that you probably weren't that good of a dad or a mom. You don't wanna admit that you were kind of a crappy son and daughter. You don't wanna admit that you've actually told people no to things that now spiritually you're going, Ugh, or you've told people yes to things that now spiritually you're going, Ugh. basically you're a human being like everybody else and you don't wanna be. And he's like, all right, we're gonna build something different in the midst of all these human beings that struggle to deny themselves. So the first thing you're gonna do is deny yourself and then you're gonna follow me all the way to the cross. This is how communities are built. This is how we move beyond just these walls into something more and better, not just for us, but for our children sitting in the rooms behind us or at home. I don't know anybody who was uh, more clearly onboarded through the process of denying himself than the person of Peter in the Bible. Peter, straight up, I'll just tell you right away, was a punk. He really was. And Jesus works with him and works with him and works with him. His original name was Cephas. And Jesus, when he meets him, decides that he is going to transform this man into something more than he is, and he decides to call him Peter. And what's beautiful about this story and what's so encouraging for all of us in this room is that Jesus doesn't really trim away much of his punkness. He kind of leverages it and sort of uses it. Peter is the very first person who ever confessed in Matthew 16, the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the first person to say, you're more than just an everyday Messiah. This is a truth which Jesus said was divinely revealed to Peter. Peter eventually became part of an inner circle within the inner circle. Jesus had the 12, and then he had the three, James, John, and Peter. And the whole time, Peter was still just a punk. There was much smarter men on the team. There was much more eloquent men on the team. There was much more refined men on the team. There were way better people to use to do this thing that he was using for Peter. But Peter over and over and over rises to the front of the team. He speaks on behalf of the disciples when he's frustrated. He's impulsive, he's strong-willed, he's brash. He's just a straight-up punk. In several instances, Peter shows himself to be impetuous to the point 
of almost disrespect. It was Peter who left the boat to walk on the water to Jesus and then promptly took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. It says in the book that he saw the waves around him. I'd like to think he was looking at Jesus, was kind of looking at the waves, but ultimately this is what I would do, and I admit I'm a self-confessed punk, so I relate to this gentleman. I would have looked back at the other 11 disciples in the boat and been like, cowards. I would have. I'd have been like, this sucks to be you, man. Why aren't you out here with me? In the storm, in the mess with the Messiah. I would have, I would have. And then the waves come and Peter's like, uh, hold on, you know, I'm kind of sinking up to my knees here. And I like that Jesus lets him sink all the way till it says he cried out. That's when his voice went so high, he was humiliated by all his brothers in the boats forever. It wasn't like, Jesus, Jesus, oh Lord. It was like, ah, 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 ah. I think it was very embarrassing and I think it was a beautiful lesson because none of us who are punks love that. Nobody who's a punk loves to have our punkness exposed. But Peter... Peter gets called out. Jesus saves him, rebukes him, throws him back in the boat. I still think dripping wet, everybody was laughing, but he still looked around because I would have been like, at least I was out of the boat. (laughs) It was Peter who took Jesus aside when Jesus said, hey, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna sacrifice my life for all humanity. And literally Peter takes him aside and he's like, listen, not on my watch. This This is like a small child standing in front of a lion and being like, I got this, I got this. You just relax, okay, with your teeth and your claws and all your giant power. I'm just I'm gonna deal with this situation. Pull up my diaper and walk out there and intimidate people is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> this is what Peter does. It was Peter who boasted he would never forsake the Lord even if everyone else did and then later denied him three times. Peter was a punk. And yet Peter continued through black eye and bloody lips to get back up and fight the fight. Till eventually, once Jesus is resurrected after the cross, Jesus reaffirms Simon as Peter the rock, promising that he would be instrumental in the establishing of Jesus' church. And sure enough, after Jesus has ascended, one day, it's called Pentecost, Peter was the main speaker at the launch, if you will, of the church to a crowd in Jerusalem that began with an influx of almost 3,000 new believers. Have you ever asked yourself, why Peter as the, as the human founder of the church? Why Peter? I believe it's because of the DNA of who he was and the legacy he was passed, supposed to pass to his leaders and leaders and leaders and leaders and us. I believe the church has lost its ability to be a punk. We no longer want to get into fistfights. We no longer, no longer want to pick battles we might have to apologize for, especially if there's a percentage we think we might not be wrong. We no longer want to bleed really in any way. We just want to sing our way through life and hope people hear us and come a-running. That's not Christ-like. That's called Pied Pipering. And that is many times how we approach ministry in this world. The only problem with Pied Pipering is it only works on rats. And we as churches have deemed people who don't fit in these walls kind of ratty. But once you come to Christ and get the uniform, you're in. You know how to be like Jesus. They get in, and you know what they realize? If this is being like Jesus, I guess I do know how to figure it out. Because what I learn in most churches is that as long as I have the uniform and can learn four or five of the basic songs and memorize two or three verses, I don't have to change anything else about my life. We Pied Piper our way through generations 
And suddenly we find ourselves living in these times when the world is looking for light still groping in darkness, but we have none to offer because we've exchanged our torches that sometimes burn us and the people we love for flutes that never work for anybody. But the legacy of rats that we've been building ourselves into for all these years. God is calling us to change that. And he's calling us, I believe, like Peter, to be a bit more punkish, to love with a bit more abandon, to be hurt, to get the, the smell of lost people on our lives and in our stories, to sit with people that, that, that it doesn't work out, to draw boundaries and have health, to recognize in our own stories where we're addicted, where we're broken, where we're whole, where we're healing, all the beautiful and, and, and encouraging things that make us human. But it has to be all. It has to be yeses and nos and a whole bunch of I don't knows. This is one of the most important things I think as a church in this series we can learn. You are not helpful when you provide answers that you don't know anything about. I, 80% of the time in crisis right now, will end up in a situation where I have no answers and it's the most powerful thing I can do is to say I don't know and just sit with people in the space of them being frustrated with me, with God, and with the situation and not leave. I'm frustrated with God in situations in my life. I want yeses and things he's not saying yes to and I want noes to things he's not saying no to and I want him to be more clear And sometimes it feels like he just wants me to sit in the I don't know. So if that's what I'm dealing with personally, which by the way is what we're all dealing with internally, then the best part that I can bring of me is my whole authentic self full of yeses, noes, and a whole bunch of I don't knows. And almost every time it works across the board. People thank me, give me hugs for nothing. They're like, thank you so much for being here. And, and I know what it's for. It's not for me. It's for the Holy Spirit and what he does when we create space to not receive his glory for his answers and the way he works. When we wear the uniform and actually know how to make the fries and the burgers and sit back and let the, the mechanism of ministry do the beautiful thing it does, which is Holy Spirit and transformation and conviction and rebuke and, and, and encouragement and all these beautiful things and instead don't decide to be everybody's counselor and therapist, Because I'm not one. I just told a gentleman a few weeks ago, he's like, man, I really need help here. And I'm like, I'll love you in that, but you have to go find help. You have to decide that's important to you. Now, that's a big deal for a church that's known for emotional health. But guess what? The best thing I learned about emotional health is that I don't have a lot of it. (laughs) And that's why I'm like, you don't want to follow me. I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. The beautiful therapist that I sit with even now, that's a posture they take. Hey, Danny, that makes sense to me. I'm curious about that too. I hate that. No, you're supposed to have answers. I know, I am supposed to have answers. (laughs) Why am I paying you for this? And then you realize you're sitting with someone else that's also being human with you and they don't offer a lot of yeses and noes. They just sit in the I don't knows and it seems to be enough. I think that's why Peter is the cornerstone movement of this church, because he could do that. And I don't know anywhere he does it better than a few years later as he's building the church. He's getting to be Peter. Stand on stages, give big sermons. People follow him, ask his advice. He gives advice, he shares. He's the God-given founder of the church on earth while Jesus is gone. And then along comes another punk. His name is Saul. 
Saul's a big old punk. Saul is educated, smart, articulate, and creating his own movement to battle Peter's movement. Peter would have heard of Saul. He would have known about him. There would have been strategy. There would have been leadership. I would have loved it. But here's the thing with God and his plans. God loves him a punk. So Saul's traveling to the next town. Like a lot of you thought you were here today, just traveling through church, going on with your life. And Jesus interrupts his story. He knocks him to the ground with a big bright light. Blinds him for a few days. Let's him sit in some of the groping darkness he already sitting in. Just lets him actually sit in it. Suddenly he removes these scales from his eyes and his static moves into an image of Christ in the world and he becomes a brand new person. And like Cephas, whose name was changed to Peter, Saul, his name is changed to Paul. Paul is articulate. He is writing and writing and writing so many of the books in our Bible. And Paul is a man who's not afraid himself to get into a fist fight because Paul is a man who agreed that he's not just gonna wear the uniform, he's gonna deny himself. He actually says this phrase, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. Do you know how much denial of yourself that you're like, listen, the best thing would be if I could just be with God, but I'm gonna do my job here for him as long as he allows me. He understood this. He had eyes to see. He was no longer living a life of static, but a consistent Christ-like clarity, which is the goal of all of us. That's our goal. That's who we wanna be. But you know what's gonna happen. Peter and Paul, they're gonna bump heads eventually. And that's exactly what happened. Peter is renowned. He's the one who spent time with Jesus. He's the one who experienced miracles and performed them himself. He is the founder of the church. Paul, (laughs) Paul's the murderer that Jesus decided to use again and let in. Why is he here, the church asked. Paul's like, I don't know. But here's some great theology and some big thoughts. People get frustrated with him, but he continues to do his work. Eventually it says that Peter is on a business trip for the church, if you will. He's in a town called Antioch. And in Antioch, Peter is meeting, as he should, with people who don't fit in, with people who are marginalized, with these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people. And he's meeting with them, and he's living as them. He's touching and connecting and eating their food. And it's all very non-traditional and a little bit outside of what should be. And a matter of fact, it's actually very church. For those of us who think church has to fit into a certain box. Peter was like, no, it doesn't. I'm the founder of this movement on behalf of God's calling and I'm gonna move and set with these people. But here's what happens. Everybody, including Peter, wants to be accepted by others, wants to be accepted by, uh, by whatever's popular, by the culture of the time. This is a big challenge to many of you in this room because as you ponder this Christ-like lifestyle and movement in your soul, there is going to be tension to move back to the darkness and the groping because it's something you know. Peter's moving with the Gentiles, he's teaching them, he's coaching them, he's leading them, and all of a sudden a very influential group of Jewish leaders come to town. And Peter hears they're coming, and he looks over at the Gentiles and he's like, I gotta go. And he rolls into camp with the Jews. He no longer addresses or deals with or connects, he goes back to what he knows. And Paul isn't having any of it. If there was ever a punk verse written in the Bible, it was this one. If ever there was a time when you could just call somebody out in scripture and just be like, bro, it was this one. 
Galatians 2, 11 through 14. I want you to look at the very first line. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Paul writing to the church, letting him know that he told Peter exactly where he could put it. I got a little sidetracked there for a second. Here's the best part of this verse. He starts off with using his old name, Cephas. He reminds him, this isn't who you're called to be. That's who you used to be. Then he says, hey, Cephas, remember when I came to your city? You know the city, when you left the Gentiles and would no longer associate with the people in the margins that God called you to? Remember when I opposed you to your face because you stood condemned? And then he describes the situation. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing. And then he has this little belittling comment, the circumcision party. It's so rude. And it's Bible. I want to think Paul knows he's writing Bible. And he's like, I'm just going to tell him. I pose him to his face. I'm going to call him Cephas, a bunch of circumcision hypocrites. Because people who were circumcised were Jews, everybody else was Gentile. He says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He basically says, hey, Cephas, who Jesus renamed Peter, you are not acting like God. And so a punk called out another punk. And this is where you get to see the heart of Peter and the proof that I do believe he is the reason and the legacy the church is supposed to still carry today. Peter is the man. Peter is legit. Peter slept at a campfire next to God. What did Paul do? Tried to murder people and had a vision? Vision? I would have torn that up if I was Peter. I'd have been like, oh, you had a vision. You had a little see-through Jesus in your life. Oh, you had a little bit of that. I sat with the man. I held him. I cried with him. He called me the rock. What does he call you, blind boy? It would have been bad. It would have been bad. (laughs) But that's not at all what Peter actually does. That's not what he does for at the end of his life as he's writing his words, this is what he says in some of his last phrasing, 2 Peter 3, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Listen to these phrasings. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. He says, listen to Paul. He's right. Listen to Paul, listen to his words, listen to what he's saying, listen to how he is. Peter is able to step back up from that black eye and that bloody lip and own the fact that he made a mistake. This is how the church is supposed to happen. But it doesn't mean Peter's still not a punk because then he adds this little line, listen to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Listen to this little line. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. He's like, he is a little long-winded and thinks a lot of himself, but still listen. That's like a 94% apology. Just pretty solid with your Peter, the founder. Do you see how important it is to see this for what it is? 
that the thing that made Peter Peter wasn't that he didn't make mistakes. It's that he knew he would make mistakes and he could show up and own those mistakes even when a junior apostle, if you will, calls him out for the things that he's doing wrong in his life. This church and every other church that God is using right now, we have to be like that. We have to call out the things in our organization that are hurting people and we have to own them. But it's not gonna happen unless you do it for yourself. I cannot do this by myself. I cannot preach big, all-encompassing sermons and then have people roll in and see you not doing the work or see me not doing the work. It has to start with us wearing the uniform and actually being in a trainable posture to deny ourselves and become the people we know we don't wanna be that the world needs us to, period. We had a phone call last week. We call, serve, we call weekend here Thursday through Sundays from a staff standpoint point of view. We had a phone call last week after one of our weekend services. The gentleman on the phone said, I'm here to complain about the people that go to your church. Now, the person who answered the phone was one of my pastors, and all of my pastors are punks. That's just punks attract punks. So he got on the phone, he goes, well, explain more. And he goes, well, I live such and such close to the, to the uptown building. And last week, I tried to leave right as somebody parked in front of my driveway and locked me in. My pastor listened and said, mm-hmm, tell me more. And he goes, then when they got out, they emptied the trash from the inside of their car and sat it on my curb. And they walked away. My pastor at this point let a little bit of his punk show and he said, well, can you explain to me, sir, how do you know they even go to our church? The gentleman on the other side hooked him and reeled him in. He said, because I had nowhere to go, so I followed him to your front doors. Because <laughs> I was locked in my house. Tell your people, stop blocking in driveways and pick up their trash. And the pastor had to say, I am so sorry. You see, we think we're doing the work till the work shows up at our front door or is watching us outside the window. We think we're doing the work till all of a sudden the work rolls in to our office cubicle or sits in the form of a child that says, you know, I don't really feel like you're very nice to mommy sometimes. We think we're doing the work till we show up to actually serve and find out we're the ones that actually need the training, even though we've been following Christ for 20 years. We have to decide, like Peter, that we are never at a point that we can't be taught. We have to be willing to receive what the Holy Spirit brings, no matter how and who he brings it through. through. Do you know what it's gonna look like too? This is the worst part of the whole thing. If we're gonna be people who train for a better, more accurate picture of Jesus, if we're gonna be people who move from the static to a true picture, if that's what's gonna happen, then the first thing that's going to show up in our lives is this addition of other punks like us. Basically, God's going to start bringing other punks into your story in order for you to see you as you. And it's miserable. But this is why communities full of people not willing to, or willing to admit that they are selfish, willing to admit that they don't wanna deny themselves are so important. Because when you can come alongside other punks, when you can come alongside other people like you, you cannot just speak into their lives, they can speak into yours. Where you can have relationships that you can be called out in. Where you can be in communities with trainable opportunities that highlight things in your life you didn't even know you needed to improve on. 
You see, this world wants authentic and real communities, but it's impossible without people willing to deny themselves to breathe life into another person, knowing they still have weakness in their own, knowing they still have lungs that aren't as inflated as they could be. So here's my promise. Real community will happen when we are willing to deny ourselves for the sake of others. And yet, I'll put it on the screen, every time you or I willingly receive these loving critiques from other punks, it will feel like a small part of our old self dies and we will hate it. You'll hate it. You'll start doing what I'm sure Peter did and go, who, who, do, you, who do you think you are? Do you know how long I followed Jesus? Do you know the ministries I've led? I'm a leader. I'm a spiritual mentor. I'm I'm, I'm, by the way, when you start, when you start peacocking like that, right? When you're like, when you're, when your spiritual feathers go up, people see it, even if you don't, that's why you need other punks in your life to be like, oh, your, your feathers hanging out. <laughs> Cause you can't see it. It's all behind you. When you're like, but I, I am this person. And somebody close to you is like, oh, ooh, like you gotta, you gotta put that away. <laughs> It's all I can look at. I just need you to put it away and just sit in the room with the rest of us who are also trying to learn. If we can do that, then we can be people who love one another into and through the training God bestows upon all of us. So that's what a church like us is offering. That's what a community like this is offering for the men in the room because frankly, um, from my experience, I've found that you are the hardest punks to get into any kind of position to have any sort of relational intimacy and let anybody call out your peacocking feathers. Um, I want to offer to you something we've worked on for a long time, and that's the, these men's events. There's three of them. The first one's tonight. I'll be here. I'm speaking. We'll have worship. We'll have a great meal. I would love to challenge you to come and sit with other punks tonight. Now, you're going to have all kinds of excuses right now. I realize it. But I just want to say, I don't care. I don't care and neither does your spouse or the people who love you who know you need to come and sit in a room with other men. It's 10 bucks. Okay, it's like two Red Bulls. Chill. But you will make excuses because it's too intimate. It's too unknown. They don't know me. They have no idea what I've been through. You're right. And you don't know us. So how about we show up in a room and see what God does with that mess? How beautiful would that be? So come the next three weeks. Come sit in the back, judge away. Come crossing your arms or be really intimidating. We'll take it. If you're somebody who's good at being condescending, welcome. Or silent or angry or over the top enthusiastic to the point everybody knows you're just fake as crap. We'll take it. We'll take it. Come on in. Bring all your stuff and see what God wants to do with it. We also have uh, punk Bible studies for all the women in the church right now. You saw those on there. <laughs> women are much more beautiful about their punkness, but uh, I don't care. Show up, sit with other women. It's beautiful. It starts uh, very soon. It starts Monday, actually. It's on the screen. We have Celebrate Recovery Mondays at 630. It's nothing but punks that go to that. Nothing. We have divorce care. We have a thriving divorce care ministry. I like We Are Punks is their motto. It's just a beautiful place for real people. We have young adults, Tuesdays at seven. It's out of the house in Richfield. 
These people don't even know yet the punks they are. We had over 30 people show up out in Richfield last week because they just wanted to connect with others. We have a middle school youth group Wednesdays at 7 at Uptown. Middle schoolers, like, like they are literally punks incarnate. That's all they are. They just roll around. And then we have high schoolers who know they're punks and enjoy it. And they're Sundays at 1. Here's what I'm offering. Bring your best shot, punch away, scratch away, do whatever it's gonna do, and we'll take that. And be ready to receive a black eye in return, and a bloody lip, and a critique, and a friend, and a brother, or a sister, or a partner, or a community. This is what I believe we are called to be and do. This is what you have been asking for. This is the only reason you park throughout this crazy neighborhood and walk in the rain to get here. Which by the way, stop blocking people's driveways (laughs) and pick up your trash. Come on, unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm gonna hide people behind trees. We will find you, I promise. I love that our church can be in this journey that we can ask these questions, that we can figure out what God wants to do. And I know some of you have big questions about what we're, where are we gonna go and what do we do when this place is full? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I just know that it's his church and these are his messages and this is his book and we are his people and it's time for us to be trained to be who he's called us to be and you qualify. If you choose to follow him, you qualify, but you have to be more if you wanna reach other people like he's asked you to. Amen? Will you stand? We're gonna close together in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are forever grateful for every story in this room, for its mess, for how, uh, how uh, strained it probably has been, for the way, God, that it sits in tension with you and others. We're gonna thank you, Lord, that that landscape is one you flow freely in, that we get to be forgiven humans, in relationship with you and one another, that we get to admit we are part of an institution that has both hurt people and is the hope. We thank you, God, that we can bring our whole selves into this place. We lift it to you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you guys later this week. Have a good week. Guys, we'll see you tonight. Sign up for the stuff in the back. God bless.